12 today, chapter 12, and uh, today is June 12th, is that correct? Wow. And uh, we're going to start in verse 12, so today is the number 12. No. But uh, actually, we're going to finish up last week. We didn't quite, I didn't quite get all the way finished with last week's, uh, so we're going to look momentarily for at uh, verse 11, and then we'll start. We'll take off with this week's lesson, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today again, and I just thank you for your love. Lord, as, uh, as we get into this today, I just praise you, and I thank you for the body of believers that you have put us in. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you give to each one of us to use to serve one another. And uh, Father, I just pray that in that service, um, Lord, it's, it's not accurate unless it's done out of love for you uh, and a demonstration of that so lord i pray that we give a an accurate picture of christ's love to one another um, as well as to those who are looking in from the outside and lord to to be reaching out to them as well and i thank you for it in jesus name amen so we'll Take a look at verse 11 real quick, and then I will go ahead and read from verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Paul describes, he says, All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and, his dis- and he distributes them, each one, just as he determines. And so last week we were looking through the list of gifts that are given um, in the be- in earlier in chapter 12, se- verses 7, 8, and 9, and uh, the gifts, he's, he's affirming here that the gifts were not ex, uh, selected by the individual people, but they are distributed by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's timely that Larry is absent a knee right now as we study this portion of this, because you can watch Larry do just about anything, and he's getting better. He's learning how to function with, with the knee missing and the, and the I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it, with the metal rod in his leg, the way it is, and he's getting better and he's healing, but the reality is, is if you watch him walk, and this is not a, you know, I'm not picking on him about this, but if you watch him walk or do anything, you can see how it affects every part of his body that that part is gone. You know, his hands have to do things differently now because he has to have a cane or maybe crutches or, or something like that. At one point it was a walker. Um, and those kind of things, head, shoulders, everything. The other leg all have to do different things that they were designed to do in order to compensate for the, for the knee that's missing now. And this is the same with the body. And I, I, I was watching a program that you guys got me hooked on. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And this, this TV show starts out, and there's these, these police officers out, and they're out on the road, and they've got these tape measures out because there's a severed hand laying in the middle of the road, and they're trying to determine if the hand actually made it across the state line to see if it's in their jurisdiction or the next one. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, when a body part is taken from or severed from the body, what happens to that part? It dies. Okay. If it's not, if it doesn't have a fairly uh, urgent sense of attention given to it to reattach or to, to repair or do whatever, there's a loss of blood. It, it no longer 
can function uh, as it's designed to function and it has no benefit. And not only that, is the rest of the body suffers as a part of that. And so I, I, I'm really convinced that this is the picture um, that Paul is going toward when he's moving towards that each person is given a gift from the Spirit that's going to benefit the function of the body of the believers. And we're going to see in a little bit here that it doesn't matter how insignificant or how great that we feel that that part is, when it is gone, there is a part of the spiritual body that is, that is hurting um, and it, is, it becomes dysfunctional as a body um, to the point of where people are, the individuals in the body are, uh, are suffering. And so when we get into, I'm sorry, I'm going to have my printer fixed next week, so I won't have to do this anymore. I did figure out what was wrong, but I just haven't got it repaired. So when we start in verse 12, um, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as from one to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, it would not be, <coughs> excuse me, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all uh, one part, where would, the, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, uh, are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, did I skip a line? No? Okay, I'm sorry. I, maybe I should move the stand back up where I had it before. <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, and the parts that are indispensable are treated with special mod uh, modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles. Second, prophets. And third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are there all apostles? Are there all, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? 
Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So back at the beginning of this passage in verses 12 through uh, 13, 12 and 13, it, it shows a, there's a three-part uh, summary of the remainder of the, tra- of the chapter. And so he says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So first of all, the body is a unit. It's a complete unit in itself. Secondly, the human body has many parts with, ne- with a ne- necessary diversity in its members. So every part serves a purpose. Every part serves a different pers- purpose than the parts the others do. Um, and they're all nece- necessary. They're all equally necessary. Um, I had to... S- my mind is kind of weird sometimes. I had to sit here and think as I'm reading, if the eye said to the ear, I don't need you, I'm going, well, if the eye said anything, it would be the mouth. Uh, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be the eye. So, but you get the point. Um, the idea is, is, is we see things, and, and if, you, if you even just look at the way our, our bodies are designed by God with the senses that we do have um, and the things that we are able to use and, 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 and we think about what it would be like to be blind for a day. You know, the Apostle Paul, I, I, there's, a, there's a part of me that, that thinks that it, it must have been uh, just a, a catastrophic thing for him initially, but later in his life, I, I picture that he considers his blindness as a blessing when he was blinded on the road to Damascus. You know, because that is something that, that it gave him three days to sit in a room without being able to see and to really think about the things that he already knew about the coming Messiah from the Old Testament, the things that he had taught, was taught, the things he had learned, and the things that Jesus told him at that moment. And so when, when we read in James where he says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds, because joy, or because those trials produce in you a reliance on, on Christ and brings us to a maturity that we wouldn't of any other way been able to accomplish or been able to move toward um and so you know there's 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 good sufferings uh in the christian walk that cause us to walk closer to christ so anyway the third uh part of this summary that's in this passage is the parts of the human body work together as one unit with the dependent mutual mutuality as each part fulfills an important function and so, yes. I just want to make one point on verse 12. Uh-huh. A year later, he writes, Romans 12, and verse 12, and I'm going to go back to the same thing. Right. So, you belong to the rest of the Right, right. So, a picture of a spouse belonging to a spouse, a child belonging to a parent. I'm yours. Right. You're mine. Yes. Yep. And there's a, all through 1 Corinthians 12, there's a number of references to Romans 12. Uh, specifically to those things. Yes. That is true. Um, that is true. And I would also say that the opposite is true as well. I'm convinced that as we read the scripture and our mind gets right, 
then we will suffer in a godly way. <coughs> right, right. And, and he uses pain both ways. I, I'm convinced that he uses pain to draw people closer to him, to mature them. And at the same time, I'm convinced that he uses mature people uh, to suffer, to demonstrate that his grace is completely sufficient. Um, and that, that even through the suffering, we can still have joy. And, and I forget where it's at, but he describes that there are times that we suffer in our life for the purpose of being able to help the next person that's going to suffer in that way. You know, so if we use your knee as an example, um, sometime in the future there might be somebody in this, in this body of believers that has a, a physical ailment like similar to what you've dealt with uh, and they're off work long time, long term, their family suffers, they're, uh, they're struggling with their faith and that kind of thing and that's where you'll be able to come alongside of them and say, I know exactly what you're going through because I, did, I went through this and this is what God did. Right, right. And so that doesn't mean that we just go looking for suffering on purpose, um, but it does mean that, that we, the joy that we can have is knowing that God has a purpose with it uh, to, to demonstrate his love, um, whether it be to you directly in that moment, or, and which I'm convinced always happens uh, if we're following him, but also to, to be a blessing to somebody else that may experience something similar to that later. Um, so this example uh, in this passage illustrates the unity and diversity of the different spiritual gifts uh, exercised by God's people who are all uh, members of one body of Christ, with Christ's body, the church of which he is the head. Um, if we look at Ephesians 1, we'll read verses 22, He says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so, Jim, you mentioned uh, Romans 12. We're going to look at Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. And we'll look at Romans 12 a couple of times today, if, uh, if time permits. And we'll also probably look at Ephesians 1 again as well. Yeah. And he writes, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And uh, he says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. 
If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And verse 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling what is to what is good. Yes? Right. Right, and so if you notice, they're not all exactly like the ones that are in Corinth. And as we read in, in 1 Corinthians 12, at, toward the end of the chapter, there's a couple things in there that are slightly different from the ones at the beginning of the chapter. So the ones in Corinth, I'm convinced, are specific to Corinth, but the ones that are written in Romans are, are universal across the board. Um, and because we can reference Galatians 5 in this and say that, the fruit of the Spirit is only visible when we are exercising the gifts that Christ has given us, or the Holy Spirit has given us. Yes? Right, so each person has a different gift, and you, you may have one, you may have more than one. Um, right. Right. So Paul is listing specific gifts in First Corinthians, and he's Paul's mainly focused on the first generation. Yeah. Apostles, prophets, healings, tongues. Those aren't for the church going forward. Those are what is recognizable by Paul to the body. So, you know, when he starts in Romans with with prophecy, for example, or when he talks about the thinking of prophecy, that's a hundred percent. Right. And first Corinthians fourteen one pursues this point. So if he tells us do your best to be approved to God, doesn't <coughs> Right, right. Um, that if you do that, you become peace. Right. Right. So in uh, you know, in he, when he is describing and he lists those those first three, I'm kinda jumping ahead in my notes when he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, I got to get back there. He 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 numbers um, the first three. Oh, where's it at? Yes, verse 20. Yes. Um, I'm sorry, I can't can't see very well. So those those are apostolic. Those are things that Paul meant all of them. There is no need for prophet today, there's no need for an apostle today, there's no need for miracles to today, although God can still do them. Right, right. So in verse verse twenty seven, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, and third teachers then miracles um tongues and so on and so forth and I, i'm i'm convinced that he categorizes them this way because it that at like today 
in the church in Corinth, they would hear a teaching, oh, wow, that's, that's, that really helped, helped me. That impacts my life. That changes me. They see somebody perform a miracle and they go, wow, that is impressive. And Paul's going, don't worry about, don't concern yourself or elevate the people who are speaking in tongues, the people who are doing miracles, the people who are doing healings and things like that. Listen to what the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers are telling you because those are the ones that are going to lead to salvation. And so when he says, um, eagerly desire the greater gifts, he's telling them to listen to what these people are telling you. Listen to what the explanation and the, um, the teaching is um, coming from their mouths. So he says, uh, back in verse 13, he says, we were all baptized by one spirit. Um, we were all, that can be interpreted, we were all baptized by or with one spirit, in one spirit. Um, so as to form one body. So when he says, whether Jews or Gentiles, what is that, what is that a reference to? Any ideas? Excuse me? Okay, Ephesians 3. Right. Right. So when you look at Jews and Gentiles, they're people that are at two opposite ends of the spectrum, socially, culturally. Um, eth their ethnicity is, is completely opposite of each other. And he's saying that the same spirit saves them both and brings them all together under one body. So then when he says the same thing, slave and free, um, he's, he's saying the same thing as far as the law is concerned. A prisoner is saved by the same means as uh, a lawyer or a, a, I don't know, who can you name that you would respect? Their, a landowner, yeah, or a wealthy, just a wealthy good to do person you know um they're saved the same way and right so i heard this it was a story of this little old lady who had gone to church and you've probably heard it before if you guys have all heard it just stop me but she goes to church every day she dies she goes to heaven and she gets there and there's these three bikers that used to terrorize her community uh there as well and she sees them and she goes how did you get here and they look at her and say the same way you did <laughs> you know I, they repented of their sins they they heard the gospel message it, it penetrated their heart it cut to them uh and they repented of their sin and so you know it's the same picture here that he's given because up to this point we realize that there's there's a, a division in the church there's quarreling there's arguing about things that are not uh just they're considered disputable matters and so Paul is trying to explain that Jesus Christ saw, knew, and died for each person where they were at, and the same expectations of repentance comes to every person, and the same salvation and spiritual gifts are offered um, as the Spirit distributes them to every person as well. Right. 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 
Right, and I'm convinced, you know, th there's a lot of times I, I've heard many people often ask the question, I want to know what my spiritual gift is. Um, and, and I've learned that, that my response should be, if you do those things, Galatians 5, and you do Romans 12, your spiritual gift will, will show up. All of a sudden it'll be like, oh, there it is. You know, and it's not that it was not there before and now it is, but as you move forward to exercise um, the things that he does command us to do, then that becomes obvious uh, to more and more people what that gift is. So when he says we were baptized in one spirit, this is, uh, this is a prophecy. I just, just realized this uh, as I was studying this. This is a prophecy by John the Baptist that is now fulfilled. Um, if we look at Mark chapter 1, he, uh, he states this very clearly about Jesus um, before he baptizes Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It writes, And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that, that seals us in our salvation. He didn't die for us, but he's the one that convicts us and points us to Jesus Christ to, to, um, to repent from our sins and to give our life to him. So there's many different kinds of spirits as well that exist with a purpose to look just like the Holy Spirit. And Satan's purpose is to look just as much like Christ as he can. Yes? Did he have to? Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I say yes and no. Jim Dodds says yes. I would say yes because it, it, is, it initiates his... Um, well... Yeah, and it, and it initiates his ministry. That's when his ministry began, is at that point. Um, and I think it's clear as well to fulfill pro prophecy, the Spirit of the Lord descending on him like a dove. Um, I forget where that, that's prophesied uh, in the Old Testament as well. I forget where it's at. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, he, but he does have to get baptized as well uh, because the baptism represents Jesus' full submission to obedience to his Father as well. So when we read in John chapter 17 and we read in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience, um, Jesus had to face temptation, experience what it would be like to see the pleasure of sin and see obedience to the Father and choose obedience to the Father every single time. And so... Um, I don't know, did you have more that you would like to add to that? I mean... Yeah, I mean, it, it, in order for Jesus to be the righteous one to live a righteous life, he had to walk. Right, right, so right. Whenever, whenever we see the Father in the Bible, that's, that's a coronation picture. So we see the Father when he is baptized, we see the Father when he is transfigured to the Father. I mean... Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't just 
Right, right. Uh, Right. I mean, he's righteous before he comes to earth. Right. And he can't be our sacrifice until we walk our path. Right. And so in John 17, there's, there's so many questions that pop up in my mind that I haven't discovered yet. Um, when Jesus says, restore me to the glory that I had before the foundations of the world. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, it just kind of sets in what uh, what a uh, a load that that is for it. I know for God, for Jesus, uh, as in His deity to carry, but for a human being to carry a load like that, He has to be able to do that. He has to uh, completely carry everything, uh, every temptation, every sin, every uh, everything that we've ever experienced, every thought. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I've heard it prayed before. Lord, I'm glad you're the only one that knows everything that I think about, you know, um, because it, I, I think if, if our minds were completely exposed all the time, uh, what a shameful mess we would be, you know. So, um, the, the, the different kinds of spirits that exist... If we look at 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 4, Paul's given a warning. He says, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than Jesus, the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit, from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted you put up with it easily enough um, I'm going to stop right there for just a second and how often do we meet somebody that we start talking to them and they say oh yeah I'm a Christian I'm a follower of Christ you know he's my savior and we think wow that's pretty awesome you know that's great uh, and then they start talking about how the Spirit of God speaks to them or, you know, speaks to them audibly, things like that. And we turn around and we go, wow, that's nice. Um, okay, I'll see you later. You know, uh, I, I, I used to do that a lot. I'm getting to where I'm more and more bold, where I'll engage a little bit in conversations like that just by learning how to ask the important questions. How do you come to the conclusion that that's how the Spirit speaks? I'm interested. I'd like to know. I'm curious, you know, about how you come to that conclusion. And most of the time, the conclusion has, has been brought by someone who taught them that, someone that they respect and that they believed was giving them truth. The same way that I came to Christianity, I, I was convinced by, not because I read my Bible initially, I was convinced because the pastor of the church or a leader in the church shared the gospel with me and he did show me some passages of scripture but I was convinced that I could trust that guy. And so today I can look back on my life and I go and and go wow I wish I would have researched when this pastor said this and it and the spirit inside me went yeah maybe you better check on that. You know so anytime I say something that is that you might feel is questionable that 
That doesn't bother me if you want to say, you know what, let's research it together. That actually encourages me because I feel like, okay, this person is genuinely concerned for my spirit as well as their own to know that we're finding the truth and that to know that we're pleasing God. And so... Um, sure. There you go. Yeah. Except John. Right, right. So that was Matthew three thirteen through seventeen. Right, right. Thank you. Right. So, right so he's already he's already holy but to but to bring for the for the purpose of right followers of Christ it's not to show that we need baptism for salvation it's to show that he is the son of God he is the righteous one and he is going to live righteously from that moment on for us to observe to see that he is actually the son of God and like Jim was saying, is to see the picture of the Trinity, all three come together uh, at that moment to demonstrate his holiness. Not for salvation. We're baptized because we're saved. We, we get baptized as a, as a display of saying, I'm committed to following Jesus. And all of you who are watching, you have the right to hold me accountable. You have the, the freedom and, and the responsibility as well to disciple that person. Um, and so baptism isn't uh, a step in the process of salvation, but baptism is a display of obedience toward God that you want to follow him, that that's your, uh, that's, that's your life's path now. That's where you're going. Right. Right. 
Right. Right, right. So you could have a person like Apollos who doesn't even know that for years. He's not lost. He's not, but he has to show and show a certain piety. So once you have an understanding yeah. of that, if you're a prominent preacher, yeah. you must have been very humble because you understood and you accepted it. So immediately, as soon as he comes out of the water, the Father and the Son appear, and then the Holy Spirit first thing he does is take him to the wilderness to be tempted. Right. Right. Yeah, same here. Right, right. 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 And so a lot of people look to Acts and, and say that that's where that's portrayed. But John the Baptist actually sets the bar for that as well in, uh, in Luke 3. You know, John says to the crowds, there's crowds of Jewish people that are coming to him saying, we're Abraham's descendants, we want to be baptized as well. Because they know that it's something, uh, it's, a, it's a godly demonstration that is being um, initiated here John looks at them and, and he's not nice about it and, and these are probably fairly good people um, by the world standard in their day but John says to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our fathers for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham and uh, he's, he's explaining that the ax, he says the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Right. 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 It's hell. Yep. So Jesus is here to baptize the deceivers. And he already gave this red dad that the axe is already at the root of the tree. And if those of you who do not bear fruit in repentance, he is ready to throw you into the fire. Right. Yeah, just obedience. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, that's the fruit. Uh, or, or initially, that's the evidence that comes is the fruit that we produce when we obey those things and exercise those things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and bearing fruit is, is serving each other. Um, I, I have so many, lately, for some reason, I've had so many discussions with people that, that are, uh, I don't know whether they're Christians or not. I'm convinced that they are. Um, but some of the discussions that I've had are, 
that on Sunday, Jesus rested. You know, on the Sabbath, Jesus rested. And I'm like, okay, how do you come to that conclusion? Because everywhere I look, Jesus is being persecuted for healing people and for serving people and doing this and doing that. And the, and the Pharisees are going, no, knock it off. You, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. Or you go out and get your chicken when he's out in the middle of the road or whatever, and you bring him back and you take your cows out to get water. Why can't I do something really good, you know, on the Sabbath? And, and Jesus is trying to explain to them, God rested on the Sabbath. And I listened to your message from last week, and I'm going, God rested on the Sabbath. We're not to rest today. We're going to rest in the kingdom. We're going to rest then. Today, when we worship the Lord and we praise the Lord, we do it by serving the body of believers. So what does that tell me? Sunday should be the hardest working day of my life. Not for my own benefit, but to serve the people that I love, that Jesus loves, and that love me, and, and demonstrating Christ's love for each other. So I don't say that to say that, oh man, we got to ex- just totally exhaust ourselves, you know, to the, to the point where we can't get to work on Monday morning, you know. But all throughout the week, I, want, I continue to look forward to what can we do together? What can I do for you uh, on Sunday morning? What's the best thing that I can offer to the body of believers? And, and I'm, I'm convinced this is what Paul is teaching us through this as the body when he's saying all of these gifts that are given are for the edification and the building up of the body. Yes. Well, it wasn't work, but it appeared to be work to everyone, you know. Right. 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 And so people. Right. Right. So he is always excusing you from being that part of Satan and the Right. Right. And so so what happens after the resurrection with that story, what you're talking about, is Satan still pursuing Christ after the resurrection? Exactly. He's not pursuing Christ, but Jesus looks directly at Peter and he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And so when you start looking at the, the, the book of Acts and you start looking at some of the things that happen, now the Pharisees aren't chasing Jesus around trying to kill him. They're chasing around the, the apostles. They're following the disciples and the people who are giving the message about Jesus Christ and they're beating them and they're executing them. And they're doing the same type of persecutions that they were doing to Jesus Christ before he was crucified. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and so we can apply that to any trial that we have in our life. We can apply that to any decision that we have to make in our life. And that's an important fact, um, is that anything that does happen to us or anything that uh, transpires in our life, if it's if it is something that is from Satan, he had to get God's permission. He had to get Jesus's permission to do that first, and we see that in Job as well. Um, I didn't know there was any 
Right. Right. No. And grace, the measure of grace is dispensed for exactly what you need to do that. Right, so, so the works that we're doing today don't have anything to do with us being saved. Right. But if we were saved to do them, how can we be saved if we don't? Right, so right. So in other words, they hurry the works saved. They don't save us. So repentance is how it should be. Repentance is not a work. Right. Yeah, because that doesn't convince any anybody, you know, that salvation is a good thing. You know, it's it's difficult to convince somebody if they don't see love in action between a, a group of people. You know, so um, I'm not even anywhere near getting through this today. So <laughs> I thank you for your attention. Thank you for your input, um, and we'll we'll pick this up next week. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really have a good title because I couldn't think of a good one. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Hold on.